You're listening to episode number 29 of the Brain BS Podcast. Our furry friends were never meant to be with us forever. Welcome to the Brain BS Podcast, where you will learn how to recognize when the BS detector in your brain is sounding off and how to use that knowledge to get what you want out of life. Now here is your host, certified life coach from the Life Coach School and podcast newbie extraordinaire, Maureen Kafkas from MK Coach LLC. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. I um, think the brain BS I'm going to talk about today is when you're preparing to go on a trip and you have a lot of things to do and you want to get it all done, but then you start to get a little nervous and stressed out and you kind of want to tap into that place where, I mean, because let's face it, whenever we go on vacation, we usually end up making it in the car or on the train or on the plane to where we're going. We pretty much have everything packed, ready to go, and we make do with whatever we actually did put in the suitcase. So it's kind of silly when you know. Now, I'm not talking to those of you who have missed flights and stuff. Because <laughs> I almost did that once when I first met my husband. And I understand that this is an exception. But for the majority, we plan enough in advance. We do enough of the work and we end up getting on that plane. And it's just what kind of state are we in, right? Could we be relaxed, feeling easygoing, trusting the process, and not getting too worked up over everything? Or are you like spitting nails and glaring at the Uber driver because they're late and stressed out because your husband wouldn't let you call them sooner because I've been there too. So these days, I have decided that I don't want to do that anymore because I'm basically programming my life and doing everything based on how it makes me feel. So if I feel good, I know I'm on the right track. And if something's really bothering me or I'm getting fear and doubt or whatever it might be, then I know I'm out of alignment. And I'm not thinking in a way that serves me. And honestly, after you do this work long enough and you get more in touch with your thoughts, it's, it becomes that, that easy. And I'm not saying you won't get triggered and go out of it, but you just figure out how to get back to it. And then the more you do it, the easier it gets and the more powerful you feel. So I am uh, leaving uh, the weekend coming up and I am looking forward to a family vacation. But you're gonna, when you, by the time you even hear this, I'll already be back because I'm doing it, recordings in advance. So that's also some of the brain BS because I have so many episodes written now and recorded in advance that I get confused when I'm marketing them or I'm putting them in groups and I'm talking about them. By the time you hear this, you'll all have already been back and I'm sure it will be an amazing trip. But I just wanted uh, the cognitive challenges of being 58. Actually, I'm not sure this wouldn't happen to someone who's younger. You have multiple different episodes and them all written and then you schedule them in advance. So it can get a little confusing. There would have been a time in my life where I thought that it was the onset of dementia. <laughs> um, so I've definitely made progress on that front because I don't feel that way at all. In fact, my brain feels sharper and more clear than it has in decades. So I am a testament to getting older doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to decline cognitively. It only happens if you think it's going to happen, which is the way I used to be. Of course, there are exceptions to this. I am not talking about people with a formal diagnosis. 
Okay, this next episode is one near and dear to me, of course, because I'm a pet lover, I'm a dog lover, and the episode's called Our Furry Friends Were Never Meant to Be With Us Forever. We're going to explore the idea that we emotionally want our pets to live forever, even though we intellectually know that's not possible. We're also going to discuss how we can reframe our time together with them in a way that can empower us and make us feel good. Lastly, it's important to understand that unlike humans, we do have options available to us to make end-of-life care way more compassionate and comfortable for our pets, so we really might want to consider taking advantage of them. And I bring this up because I want to give you permission to look at things in a different way and a way that serves you and works for you and, and not feel bad or like you're doing anything um, negative with your pet. So anyway, I'll, I'll get into it as we get into the details of the podcast. So let's begin with the fact that if all goes well, we are definitely going to outlive our pets. I would hope that none of us have a problem with that because the alternative would be that we would be dying and leaving our pets behind. And I'm pretty sure we don't want it to go like that either. I understand this concept now, but didn't get it when I first had my dog, Harry. I found him in a pet shop around 14 years ago. Harry was a cockapoo with amazing Andy Rooney eyebrows, a long body and a big nose. He was kind of cantankerous, didn't really want to be held by anybody and didn't actually like anybody else but me. God, I love that dog. I still do, actually. One of the reasons why I chose him in particular was because of the long lifespan usually associated with the cockapoo. They're supposed to like maybe be able to live up to 16, 18 years old. At some level, I really believed because I got a dog that has that lifespan that that was a sure thing, and I really believed he would live that long. So when he got sick and died at the age of eight, I was absolutely devastated. I truly had trouble accepting the reality of the situation because I did not think he was supposed to die like that because they're supposed to live longer. It's sort of like when the weatherman predicts beautiful weather and it rains instead. We think, no, I made plans outside because of the forecast. It is not supposed to be raining. But the truth is, it is supposed to be raining and we knew that because it is. We think something's gone wrong. Eckhart Tolle tells us in A New Earth that rejecting reality only causes suffering, and boy, was he right. If we can truly accept that our pets are not meant to be with us forever, then we can approach the time we have with them in a way that is so much more empowering. All right, well, there are many ways to reframe our thoughts regarding our lovable furballs, but I'm going to limit it to the ones that I find most helpful because of the limitations of this post, and I can't go on and on and on as much as I love to about pets. So first, how about instead of dreading the day we have to say goodbye to them, we actually learn to stay present and enjoy the time we have with them? Wouldn't that be a good place to start? Us humans always want to fret about the future and think how awful it's going to be when we don't have our pets, and this just robs us of the present moment when there's actually no problems. Thank you, but no thank you, ego and brain BS. Instead of giving into those fears and negative emotions, why not choose thoughts that feel so much better on purpose? I didn't know that was even an option when I had Harry, but you can be sure I'm doing that with Ginger and Basil. For example, there was a time when I first got my current pups that I would worry about what would happen to the other one when one of them got sick or died. 
Now, I'm not in alone. I am not alone in this because everyone I know that has more than one dog has all these strategies to try to figure out how they're going to help their dogs. Sometimes they take them on separate walks just so they don't get used to being with each other all the time. We anticipate how sad it's going to be, how heartbreaking and how difficult. And it's just a crazy way to approach the situation. It was heartbreaking to me when I would think that thought because they're so close and they love each other so much. I would actually cry and find myself fretting over it. And they were just puppies. I did this like when they were puppies. And guess what? It was not useful at all. Newsflash here, folks. Anticipating and worrying about something in advance does not make it any different when it happens. It doesn't impact the outcome at all. So instead of just, we, we think we prepare ourselves for it in advance and that, that somehow is going to help us, but all it does is rob us of the present moment and being really happy and enjoying our pets while everything's going well. So I have some strategies and some thoughts that I use to keep me in a place where I'm like trusting the process, trusting the universe, and you know, just having control over what I can have control over because I definitely don't get to decide when my dogs will get sick. But some of the thoughts that I use that work really well for me, well, one of them, well, so before you, before you even try my thoughts on, you have to understand that you have to fill the thought in your body and really believe it for it to be effective. You can't just say a thought that I'm telling you works for me. And then if you don't believe it in the core of who you are and in your inner being, then it's not working for you and you have to find thoughts that do. So I, I use, sometimes life just sucks and there's no escaping that, whether we're a human or an animal. And another thought that works for me is life is 50-50 and all living beings are going to experience both good and bad. I also even just use shit happens and nobody escapes that, not even dogs, cats, rabbits, frogs, or whatever it is that you have as a pet. I just keep referring to dogs because that's what I happen to have. Okay, something else that I do um, that you might think is a little wackadoodle, but it really brings me comfort and it really works for me is I actually talk to my dogs. And whenever we go on vacation or something, I will say that there's no way that if I couldn't get back here, it would be because I wasn't in control of it and how much I love them and what an honor it is to take care of them and how much I love them. And say what you will, I believe 100% that they are energetically getting that message and that that's what I'm putting out to the universe. So in terms of the law of attraction, I want to put that out there so that I bring love and um, being tied to them and connected to them back to me. So an example of how that didn't happen, when we first got Ginger and Basil, they ended up getting kennel cough and we got them at eight weeks old. Oh my God, they were so cute. I'll have to post some pictures of them, but they were adorable. And Ginger's kennel cough went into pneumonia. Now, I don't know if I've mentioned this before in my podcast episodes, but when Harry died, he died June 10th. And I got Ginger and Basil in July, the end of July, because I felt so empty and my intuition just a hundred percent told me to get two dogs when my father-in-law was sick I don't know what I was thinking except following my intuition and sometimes intuition doesn't make sense you just have to follow it I ended up with a big old cold sore on my lip for doing that but I'm thrilled to death that I did it now because I love those dogs 
the fact that they got sick though, that was law of attraction. I was so fixated and so focused on Harry and taking care of him when he was sick at the end of his life. And I didn't get a rescue pet because I desperately wanted a healthy dog and I didn't want to go through that again. So sure enough, what do I attract? Two sick little pups. I'm not going to lie. When that happened with Ginger and Basil right after Harry, I turned it into a huge drama. Huge, because I didn't know then what I know now. Now I don't turn things into a drama because I accept reality, right? That's what we have to do when our pets get sick, even our loved ones, whatever it is. Whenever we reject reality, we're going to suffer. My new thoughts enable me to just accept it and make the most of what I have when I have it. So I emotionally accept now that I have a limited amount of time with my dogs. And I thank my lucky stars when they're healthy and we can go for walks and they're eating and they're and everything's just going well. Even if it's mundane, boring and routine, there is something to be grateful for in that especially after you go through the drama of losing one who's been sick and you had a lot of, you know, you invested a lot of care in them. So I make a point of practicing gratitude every day that I had the intuition to pick out those two best pups for me and I enjoy them whenever and as much as I can. Okay, so now let's talk about the differences about helping a beloved pet at the end of their life versus helping a family member or friend exit this world. This is super important information to consider because our pets don't have to suffer like our loved ones do. Now, I understand this is very subjective, but I just want you to consider that sometimes we keep our pets alive for ourselves, and it's not really in their best interest. I'm not saying that we can't do that, but I think we have to be honest with ourselves about the way we are thinking and the results that we create because of that. I believe the universe gave us this gift an opportunity to say goodbye to our pets so that we can learn more about ourselves in terms of how we deal with dying and saying goodbye to anything or anyone we love. For example, I want to share the situation that I was faced with when Harry got really sick. Harry was diagnosed with protein-losing enteropathy, which is basically called leaky gut. It's a chronic condition that continues to advance, and the doctor said it would eventually kill him. He was in and out of the hospital a few times, but the last time he was there, he was super sick. PLE, which is the protein-losing enteropathy, keeps dogs from absorbing protein in their guts and also causes pancreatitis. This would mean tons of pain for Harry, excessive vomiting, fecal incontinence, and jelly-like stools. Oh my gosh, it broke my heart to see him suffering like that and in so much pain. Even worse was when I took him to the ER on a Friday for the last time and they wanted to keep him there in a crate. Harry hated crates. So this was so hard for me, but I did it because he was in so much pain and I thought that that had to be a priority. I seriously felt between a rock and a hard place. I remember they called me from the ER the next day to say Harry would not eat and they wanted to give him a feeding tube. Now, I'm not usually a drastic measures kind of gal, but they said he had a decent chance of having some quality of life if they found the right dosage of medicine for him and that maybe he hadn't been on the correct amount. And they recommended that I do it, so I did. And I immediately questioned that decision right when I hung up. 
Luckily, though, Harry saved me because they called about 30 minutes later and he had stolen another dog's food. We were so excited and hopeful that maybe he could possibly recover and stay well for a while. But at that moment, I was just grateful I did not put that tube in him. Now, I want to say here that I can handle end-of-life situations better than the average person, probably. I can sense when it's time to say goodbye to humans, and I trust my intuition with that 100%. I'm usually the one who initiates a hospice consult before anybody else is quite ready for it. What can I say? I just, I know when the end is near. I knew it when I was in the hospital and I was working there with patients. I could just tell when people were at the end of their life. And yes, I find it difficult to say goodbye, but it is far better than watching them suffer when they know it's, you know, when I can tell that they are ready to go. Now, that doesn't mean the family is ready for them to go. I'm talking about the, the person. So with Harry, it was a little different, though, because he got out of the hospital and came home and was doing really, you know, pretty well. I mean, he was not great, but he was not visibly suffering either, which is important to understand he wasn't, wasn't visible, but it doesn't mean he wasn't suffering because dogs like try to hide their pain. So I had a long talk with my vet and he said it, there was no way that Harry wouldn't end up back in the hospital and that it was just a matter of time before he died, but he didn't know how long he had, but that while he was alive, he would be suffering and in pain. So at this point, it became clear to me that I had some decisions to make. And I specifically point out that it became clear to me because somebody else who deals differently with end of life may not have even been thinking like I was or ready to in that moment. I want to be clear, there's no judgment about that. We're all just different in how we deal with death. My 20 years plus of working in the hospital and being with loved ones when they've died lends to me having an easier time around accepting death. Somebody else might not have even accepted that their dog was terminal or felt as responsible as I did to minimize Harry's suffering. It is also important to point out that some people care more about quantity than quality. Some people don't want to be responsible for entering their pet's life even two seconds before they think they should. They think, oh my God, they could have one more good day. What if they could have one more good day? But then when you do that, you jeopardize whether they do have a good day or if that good day turns into a bad one. So these are probably usually the pets who die at home. My biggest fear, though, was that he would have to return to the ER and get crated again, which was an absolutely unbearable possibility. I just knew absolutely that there was no way I was going to let that happen, and I didn't. I spoke with my family, and I made an appointment for the vet to come to our home that following week. I was leaving for a special trip in two days that I couldn't cancel or reschedule, and I could not take the chance that something would happen while I was gone. I remember it like it was yesterday. We were on the second floor deck. I get a little teary-eyed. <laughs> I can't believe I'm crying. Um, we were on the second floor deck of our home where Harry used to wreak havoc on the neighborhood. He would be up there barking at everyone. It was an absolutely beautiful day with blue skies and a light breeze. It was just me and Harry up there. I wanted it that way because I was a different person then. I would never do it by myself again. The pain I felt that day was so intense and the sadness was so overwhelming that I actually felt like I would die right there with Harry. I didn't though, of course, and when I look back on that day now, 
I feel absolute love for him and gratitude that my little Harry never had to suffer again and get so sick that he had to be crated and kept away from me. What a beautiful memory for me to be able to cherish and know I was responsible for that. In conclusion, as much as we would love for our pets to live forever, we must accept that they're not going to. If we can truly accept this reality, we can stay present and manage our minds in a way that can reduce our suffering when they become ill or for them when it's time for them to leave us. It's important to remember we have options to reduce our pet suffering at the end of their lives and should, get, should consider doing it when possible. There's no right or wrong way to deal with losing a pet. But we want to be clear with ourselves about how we're thinking because that will determine the results of how they exit this world. Meaning however it goes down, the goal is to like your reasons for why you made your decision because you'll have to live with that decision long after they're gone. Now go grab that furry little friend of yours and let them know how much you love them and enjoy them from this day forward and know that they're not going to be with you forever, but they're amazing gifts while we have them. See you next episode. If you like what you heard here today, I would like to ask you to subscribe to the Brain BS Podcast. Give me a review of five and share it with everybody you know. You can also go to my website, www.thebrainbs.com and check out what I'm all about and how I can possibly help you. If you're ready, you can sign up for a free 60-minute consult or get to know me better in my free Facebook group called The Brain BS Group where we dig deeper on all of these topics and you can ask me all the questions. Lastly, always remember, the only thing standing between you and the life you want is your Brain BS.